Hey everybody, it's Stephen Brad on Jonah for Going Off Track. Coming to you pre-recorded at Rubber Track Studios in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where the hipsters come out during the day as well as at night. Man, riding on the train to get here, there was some girl who's just lying down on the bench, mm-hmm. messing with her phone, with her scarf dragging slightly on the floor. And it took every ounce of me not to walk up and just shove that scarf in between the door. <laughs> So it's like, you <laughs> rude young lady, you are lying down uh, with your feet up mm, on the bed. People kids. sit there, children sit there, and you're on your phone. And by the way, we're underground. That phone's not working. Yeah. I no know respect. that. No respect for these That's kids. rude, rude as all get out. So here's the thing. When you, when you live in, in the Williamsburg, uh, and you- In the you, WB, as they call it. In the WB, to, to make egress into Manhattan, you have to ride the L train- the L stands for be- between K and M, and it's or lower, whatever. And you get on the L train, and I've done this because when I first moved to New York, I had to stay in, in Williamsburg. And, and the L train in the morning is the equivalent of pack like sardines in a tin. Like it's so so packed. It's the only route. But Brad, you have the opposite experience. I, you, well, first of all, I'm going the opposite direction. So, so you ride the train with no one. Correct, but I off, I usually take my bike. So, you fit bastards, both of you. It really annoys me. <laughs> but, uh, but so I get all the hipsters on their on their uh, you know on their single, double talls, single gear, whatever the hell you call those fixed bikes. gear, fixed gear, fixies. You call them fixies. What does that even mean? It means that there's no. It's just fixed gear. There's. It doesn't even. The real, true, hardcore fixies don't even have a brakes, right? Wheel, so that like when they're going downhill and they're not pedaling, they actually have to take their feet off the pedals and let them spin. I think the thought is they're just the less stuff you have, the lighter it is, or something. Well, and the thing is, the front tire is really, really big, and the back one's really, really small, and you've got to wear a top hat while you're riding. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I've lived in. <laughs> <laughs> I, go ahead so I was, whatever. <laughs> no. I was I'm the so backing that I was like this is fantastic I'm learning something and then boom he got me with the monocle tomorrow I will see that guy I swear there will be somebody doing that I, I'm in confident. this neighborhood I'm fully there confident there will be for sure but no so I'm the, going the other direction on my non-fixie and they're all coming at me but it's great because I mean you know there's a lot of cute girls that ride bikes so. that's true get true. Those, but do, of, I do take the train sometimes, and yeah, it is that is the case. I, I've lived in Williamsburg on and off for a long time. I've never ridden the train at that time in the morning. I just won't do it. You're smart. I never have to. No, which is great for your schedule. Yes. Delicious. Yeah, I, I've done it, and I don't understand it, but then there's this horrible urge that I have, and sometimes I've acted on it while I've been there, and sometimes I feel bad, but most of the time I don't. It's just to be in that pack situation and fart. <laughs> And not, and and like you're that guy, yeah. Well, no, not like this. I like I'll go for the loud one because why not? What are they going to do? I'm not going to see these people again unless I ride the train in the morning and they get that same car. They don't know my birthday. <laughs> like like Jeff, our, my old drummer, used to. I don't know why I thought it was funny to go into the bathroom and and just make terrible farting sounds when he wasn't actually. You know, when you go in there in a public restroom and you're always doing your best not to fucking sound terribly flatulent while you're taking a dump and he would do just the opposite he'd be sitting on the toilet and making his own sounds because he wasn't 
making enough out of his ass. This defines what I love about this podcast because our guest today is Dave Bazan, and it's one of the most introspective, <laughs> coolest, <laughs> highbrow, intimate <laughs> interviews we have. Dave, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I just launched into farting on a crowded subway. It really is. That was a, it's such a great talk with him, and he's so cool and so awesome, and we delves into so many things. And I, di- I, I disagree. I think he's going to love that intro. No, I think he will too. He's, <laughs> he's got a good sense of humor. He's a really amazing, talented dude. But I think he also is, is he your favorite singer songwriter? He's is up there for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's I mean, how I mean. I've seen. I learned that I had seen Pedro the Lion, and always heard about him. Uh, you know, if you're a Jade Tree fan, as I think we all were at one point. But you were the one who really introduced me, just Dave Bazan. Like, this is him. This is how it right. works. And uh, I hope this, when you all hear this, will go out and buy every record he's ever done. Definitely. Because and, and if you really like it, he just put out a vinyl box set of his five J-Tree records. Oh, great. Um, it's hard to find a friend, Control, Achilles Heel. You just want to see if... Achilles Heel, want, that's the one I have. Achilles Heel was the last one. You just want to see if you could do that. I can't believe I can't do this. Dun, 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 um, dun. Whatever. But you can get them all together and it's like super... Orange Rhyming Dictionary. <laughs> They're super... That's Chester Brazil. That's why it's funny, but it's Jade Tree. <laughs> Rock and roll record joke. Um, so yeah, buy his stuff. Go see him. Go to one of his house shows. They're amazing. You will never see anything like it, I promise. Except in 10 years when everyone's doing it because <laughs> no one's making money selling records. So Dave is on. Going off track. Let's do it. He's going off First time I saw Pedro Lyon, you had this backing band called Death Cab for Cutie who <laughs> opened for you and then performed as your band. Well, and uh, just Ben played in in the uh, in the band, but yeah, they opened. Didn't didn't Ben something happen with him at CMJ? Yeah, he they had to drop off the tour because he got really sick. Like he, um, he was playing. In some cases, we were playing two shows in a night, so he was playing four sets, and he was vegan, and I think, like, you know, not getting protein where he where he needed it, and he just, his body just freaked out. So they went home and then joined us for the West Coast part of the tour. Okay. So, yeah, um, in 2001. Yes. I wanted to talk about something else. That yeah. I have a lot of stuff I want to talk about. Right on. Yeah, that... Well, I have to. I have to intro this because we have Dave, okay. Dave Bazan here. Yes. Who I know from Pedro the Lion. Mm-hmm. I've, I've now remembered that yes, I did see the band and you, but also just from the sheer joy and love that Jonah Bear has for you <laughs> and your songwriting. I stayed over at his house one weekend. It was like. It's like my last dude weekend before my children were born. Uh-huh. And he took me to Saturday Night Live where his sister's on. And um, the night before SNL, we went out to Idle Hands and got really drunk like you do. And the next day, we were both recovering. And Jonah, in a kimono, uh-huh. in his apartment, said, Hey, man, I'm just going to go lay down for a bit and listen to this new Dave Bazan record. And I was like, okay. And he just disappeared in the bedroom <laughs> and just crashed. And it was like... It was like a, his fountain of rejuvenation for That's the rest awesome. of the evening. It was nice. Yeah. That's awesome. It's a beautiful moment. So I'm very excited to sit and, and watch this occur. Well, you know what I think is interesting is I talk about a lot in the podcast through my job, like being a critic. Mm-hmm. You make a lot of friends and a lot of enemies. Yeah. And people are not, are not good at taking criticism. I remember you were one of the few people where like 
I feel like I gave kind of a weird review to the headphones record. Mm-hmm. And I saw you on that at the Grog Shop yep, when clean, that yeah. yes, when the fewer moving parts mm-hmm. thing came out. And like you came up to me and we were talking and I had had like a really weird day and you were like, I read that review, I thought like you brought up some really good points, like and I was like, Wow, this is like a constructive <laughs> and it like obviously I was a fan, but it was I thought I felt like that was a really cool moment that normally it's like, fuck this guy. Well, you know, I've I've had plenty of like bad reviews that were not, that were not constructive that were just you know um just absurd and clearly mean-spirited but people saying like here's what i liked about the record here's what i don't like about the right. record that's music criticism like that's how it's supposed to work and so when so when that review happened i i just i thought it was a good review and i mean it was a i thought it was a well-done review and, and on point and so yeah i I was happy to to come up and you know say that to you because well in that night too we talked because I asked do you ever change your mind like once you review a record and you were like yeah that does happen sometimes and I was like a ghost is born and you were like yes a ghost totally, is born because totally. so many people panned that record when it first came out and I think it's the best Wilco record um, by a lot um, but it was just so, so much more complex and. Uh, and weird but so yeah that was a fun night I, I, I'm that is a really good record i saw that tour that's a Ooh, good it is a good. good record i saw that tour at radio city and it just sounded oh yeah incredible and he does um uh <clears throat> why am i blanking on his name glenn the drummer he does a lot of crazy stuff on that record yeah which is really really good right on yes um you have notes. I love it. I know. It. I took some notes. Well, I just, I wanted, there's so many things that are sort of interesting that I wanted to talk this about. This is the antithesis of what this is about with <laughs> notes, Jonah. <laughs> I know, I this know. This is the opposite. Well, I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> I I was curious how, I feel like your business model has been so interesting too. Mm-hmm. Like with the house shows and with, I don't know what your relationship is with Spotify, but I remember you talking about that. I mm-hmm. mean, how did... Where do you stand on that kind of stuff? Like, how much of that is you thinking about it? How much is Bob? How much is... Like, where do these ideas come from? Because I feel like it's... You have a really unique kind of perspective on things. Um, well, uh, Bob is is my manager, and, and our mind is almost one on a lot of stuff. I mean, there are things that we disagree on sometimes. Um, for instance, you know, he was for adding the Mercury Lounge show. Uh, this week, and uh, I really didn't want to do that, <laughs> but he was right. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we, w- you know, we're just trying to make it make this thing sustainable. There's so many things that have come up now in the last, you know, since like oh eight oh nine, you know, with not only the the, the e- economic downturn, but just how many more bands are touring. Um, where you just aren't, you know, we get a a lot of pushback from our booking agent if we want to play a town more than once on an album cycle, where in 2002, 2003, we would play five tours. We'd play New York five times on an album, and you just can't get away with doing that now. Promoters are are freaked out, and so we're trying to figure out a way, well, I need to be on the road. This is how I make my living, and so we came up with this house show idea, and so... You know, this year I played 18 weeks of house shows and then we did, and then six weeks of, of a band tour. Um, but 
it just makes it sustainable and um What's the house show? I don't know. So what we do is um, I, I come up with a routing that's sort of like an ideal, you know, routing uh, with, the t- you know, the towns and the corresponding like that we're going to leave, you know, March 1st. And this is, you know, day by day where we want to end up. We put that up on the Internet and just say, hey, does anybody in these towns want to host a show on this day um, That that's, you know, uh, in the routing? And then we get you know, a bunch of responses and then Bob and Trey, my ma- uh, manager and booking agent sift through them, figure out this is the house, this is the house, this is the house. And then we put it up on sale, uh, through PayPal. And usually by the time I leave on tour, all the shows have sold out and I've been paid for the entire tour. And then, and so the hosts don't have to deal with money. Um, and we, we, well, you know, we would say, you know, m- March 20th, Brooklyn, New York, do you want to buy a ticket? And then once people pay the money and buy the ticket, then we give them the address. So no one knows where the show is except for the people who have bought the tickets. And in, I mean, I've played 350 of these house shows since 2009, and we've had no crashers ever. And so it's this, it's this way of doing things that we came up with where... How did the people who have the house get paid? They don't. They just oh. they just want to do it. But wait, you say house? It's not at a venue. It's at a house. Yeah, it's just in someone's living room. Yeah. Oh. Although last yeah. time I've been to most of them here, and last time you were here, it was in the nicest apartment I've ever been in in my life. It was yeah. like this rooftop apartment in this new condo in Williamsburg, with like a roof deck. Mm-hmm. So it's so cool. how do you it's know cool. what like the cap is gonna like the capacity is gonna be? Well, so they just one of the keys is that we want the host to have a good time and feel comfortable. So we. It, it, the minimum is 35 or 40. And so if they kind of, and they know that going in. And so, and then we just say, okay, how big's the room? Um, and how many do you think you can fit in there? And so that a lot of times we leave all kinds of money on the table because we could fit 50 or 60 people in there, but they're like, I don't know, maybe 40. Yeah, let's do 40. And so then we're like, yeah, 40 is great. And so then we just, you know, we do that so that, you know, and we don't ask for anything, a bottle of water from the host or anything, just like, so, so, so that they're not overtaxed. I mean, like you like you mentioned, there's no money changing hands right. with with us and the host. It's just people who want to have that experience and to put a you know have a living room show in their house. And then I just people show up about seven thirty. I show up about seven fifty five for an eight o'clock start. Come in to start playing, um, and then you know I'm, I play for seventy minutes. And then hang out for half an hour or whatever, and usually everybody's out by ten, and it's really, usually really mellow. I mean, people br- bring drinks and stuff, but it's um, it's definitely not like a party, right? Atmosphere. It's, Have you ever had any like overly enthusiastic kids go like, "Yeah, dude, we can do it in my basement. My parents aren't home," <laughs> or anything like backfiring situation? Only one time did did a host cancel after. Um, they we we booked the show with them and it and it wasn't it was it was actually I felt bad for the guy he was a he was on staff at a church that was his, his job he was like a, a youth pastor or something and his boss the the head pastor found out that I was going to be playing at his house and told him that he didn't think it was a good idea to have me there because of 
the content of my records and my views on religion and stuff. And so he was really bummed. He ended up coming to the show in that town once we rebooked it. It right. was in, in Pittsburgh. What, but, uh, but one, that guy, the the pastor, I, I would hope, I guess, listened to your record. So I guess that's a plus. At least he listened to it. He but, probably did. <laughs> yeah, but what's the, I mean, what specific content do you think he was referencing? Um, you know, I, I grew up Christian and I've... <clears throat> um, and I'm not a uh, Christian uh, anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, I've sang about it quite a bit. And there's a record called Curse Your Branches that is all about just what doesn't make logical sense to me about uh, the the narrative of, of Christianity. And so it's, it's, I don't know, it's contentious. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's, it's certainly threatening i think um to people who must believe that what denomination were you um i grew up basically evangelical okay yeah christian where are you from again uh phoenix but i've lived in seattle for 22 years got it okay i mean how much of your fan base do you think is still that like old kind of christian youth fan base and how much of it is do you have you noticed like a palpable shift at all you know it's really it's it's been a tricky thing to to put our finger on the whole time, like even in 2002, you know, the, the person at the merch booth was the one who maybe could have the best vantage point because, you know, people come up and their T-shirts indicate something or but I really don't know. Um, surprisingly, after Kershaw Branches came out, there's still a lot of people that do come up to me and say, hey, I'm a Christian, but I really love that record. And it's just, you know. It's nice to be able to be honest about your own doubts, and but I, I have, you know, stayed Christian or whatever, and it's just like, I don't understand how necessarily, but hooray, you know, that's that's great. Um, I, I thought that it was going to be a deal breaker for uh, a lot of folks who, um, not that I was trying to break up with them, but, right? Um, but yeah, so there's, I really have no idea. It's it's really difficult to get a perspective on who's in the audience at any given show what was it that caused your uh, evangelical what, what, what caused you to doubt your faith i guess um, which is a weird phrase because when you're grown up taught something it's bizarre to think that that's faith in it you know yeah um well you know i i, I was old enough where i i really had made it my own to a certain degree um but it really was um i mean simply I uh, I realized that the the main premises of my belief system were um, uh, based on assumptions that I had made my entire life, and I thought, well, if I'm going to really be serious about this, I should go and investigate each of the the, the foundational premises, and um, and then I can kind of move on with you know, with my faith, I, assuming that once I investigated them, there would be a basis that was compelling to me for each of them. And as it turns out, there just, there just wasn't, um, the, a lot. Uh, yeah. And which was, a, it was disappointing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a disheartening moment when, yeah. when you realize your parents are in fact Santa Claus. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and the the toughest thing about it is that um, I mean it is it's a it's a series of really intense mind games, um, cultural mind games, you know, uh, sort of the social pressure from your immediate community 
and um, you know just the intensity of the culture wars all right inside your own body you know uh, and then to 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 go through that process gracefully in any way is really tough because you're going to tend to have the pendulum swing way way the other way and then how long does it take to find kind of a natural balance uh and it's been interesting but um so that's why because i do all that stuff kind of out in the open you know and and write about it and on the records and so that's why a pastor of a church would maybe feel that feel that way it's kind of a bummer for that pastor to not go this is the way this guy thinks go check it out see what you think the the guy that whose house it was was um he was so cool and he was just in a weird spot but the the cool thing is that after that the a lot of the elders and the board of the church got wind of the controversy and each of them went and looked at the records and listened to it and most of them disagreed with the head pastor and were like you know I think that that kind of dissent or or um, discussion is is more than fine, and so it was. A, ultimately, it seemed like it was a good sort of like um, event within their little community of people, kind of opening up their minds a little bit. But it was it, it was embarrassing for that guy, and I just assured him like, "Look, you didn't do this on purpose. Like, mm-hmm. you know, don't worry about it." So. Well, I'm curious. I mean, it seems like you do put so much of yourself out there, whether it's like writing about religion or like writing a song like Options, or mm-hmm. it's like, I've, and I've seen 800 Q and A's with you where people are like, "What does your wife think of this? Mm-hmm. Like, what's this?" I mean, what kind of compels you to put yourself out there so much, and kind of because it must make your life harder in a lot of ways. I, you know, it it really doesn't. Um, uh, it, I feel like it makes my life easier, really, um, because. Um, it's not, it's not like I would be lying if I didn't, wasn't that way, but the, but I think lying is a good analogy. Like when you've got all these things that you got to kind of keep track of and you're this way with this person and that way with this person, it's just a lot of energy and, and usually it blows up in your face. And so for me, transparency and genuineness, you know, some kind of personal authenticity is just, it's just an easier way to, to live and, um, and I don't know how, to, I don't know how to be any other way, you know, also, um, occasionally, um, when I have to do a lot of press and it's like interview after interview after interview, the interview part is fine. But when all that press hits the street at the same moment, and it's just like when Kershaw branches came out in 2009, there was a week in September of 2009 where like probably 15 interviews hit at the same time and that made me feel horrible because it's just too much of me you know wagging my tongue right but other than that all all of it is i mean i i just like i i really believe that you know the more sunlight that can be let in to 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 the inner workings of you know, an institution like marriage or government or anything is just going to make it better. And so I, that's how I kind of conduct myself too. But do you think like your, like your family, your wife realize, like view your music as you have characters and mm-hmm. that stuff? I mean, cause there is, do you ever think like, oh, I don't know if I should write about this infidelity thing. Cause my wife's family might not get the wife's family. That is tough. My wife knows, you know, what, is what when when a song happens she right. knows what because we just you know we're pretty tight and so she she knows what tends to reflect something true about us and what is 
you know, just a character. Um, yeah, my my family also know my wife's family. I don't know what they. I don't know if they listen at all. Um, I'm. It, it might be better if they if they don't. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, but they're they're real let sleeping dogs lie kind of folks, um, and so you know I, that, that's a good question. I, I really don't know what they think. Um, How long have you been married? Thir- uh, Thirteen years. Oh, so just brand new. Fresh yeah, into it's, it. yeah. <laughs> Still uh, getting your footing. Yeah, we're figuring it out. I think it's going to work. <laughs> um, you have children? Yeah, um, an eight year old and a three year old. All right on. Yeah. Yeah. And so you said earlier, talking about sustainability. So this has been, you've been doing bands and things for ever and ever. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't had another job besides uh, this since 1997. Wow. So, and I've been touring full time since 1998, which is roughly between 100 and 200 shows a year since 98. Um, and then the last two years have been a lot. Like last year was 205 uh, wow. days away. Um, oh man! And uh, so then this year I shaved like a whole month off that, which is good. Um, that was too much. Um, yeah, how, I mean, how does that work with with the kids and stuff? Is it, I mean, they're, I guess they're born into it. Yeah, but so, but for you, um, it you know it smarts a little. Um, but the thing that I care more about is just how they feel if they have you know this. I don't think that they you know those kind of pangs of longing for me to be there like if they have if that really causes them to suffer um i that's what i worry about Mm -hmm. so far it seems like it's it's not my wife is pretty great and doesn't resent me being gone Mm -hmm. um at all um from what i can tell so there's no like no resentment on her part that then is sort of transferred to the kids Mm -hmm. it's you know they there's a there's a map on the wall down uh, at my son's level that every morning they wake up and make a dot in the town and he figures out the route that, you know, with a dry erase marker and there's a little, little photo of me in the van that they move around, the, <laughs> you know, the country on that thing. And so it's, you know, with FaceTime and all that stuff that, that <clears throat> is pretty meaningful. Um, you know, even to the point where my wife was, you know, in the back of the house getting ready or something. And, I was talking to my kids on FaceTime because I could just, my wife's phone was there. So I was sitting on the coffee table and my son's just hanging out and we're talking. And it, my wife comes out and my son goes, Mom, Daddy's here. And that just made me feel great. Like for him, it was, you know, close to me being there, you know, that he he was excited about it. So well, that's what he's, that's what he grows up with. So yeah. that's his, that's his relationship. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. So are you, sounds like since you've been doing this and you know how to do this mm-hmm. and, and are evolving in the ways the industry should, uh, shouldn't say industry, but the way as an artist, you should, do you tour say, you know, a couple weeks at a time, then I'm home for a couple weeks, and I tour for a couple weeks, and I'm home. Or do you do chunks? It's big, bigger chunks, and that has more to do with the geography of living in Seattle. Once, I mean, the western states, the western half of the United States, I think, has less than 25% of the music markets. I mean, east of I-35 is where all the music markets are. And so once you do the work and uh, lay out the money to get 
to I-35, like it's cost effective to kind of stay out. If I lived in St. Louis, I could just do these little, right. you know, that the, just hit the, the spokes of a wheel all the way around, um, you know, and do a couple weeks in a loop and then. But since I live out there, so I, it's usually six weeks. It's usually 40 days okay. is, is how long I'm gone. Th- this time is a little bit more than that, but we get to go home for Thanksgiving. Right. Um, so on Tuesday, we'll fly, I'll fly home. It was very, very um, uh, revealing that documentary, the, um, the Other F Word. Did you see that at all? Yeah. It was one, it's basically about Jim Lindbergh when he's leaving Pennywise, but they do interviews with all these guys in bands from, yeah. you know, Blink-182. It's a lot, a lot of punk bands. Yeah. But they talk to, um... Is uh, it family? Is it... it, it it's, it's, uh, fatherhood. Fatherhood. <clears throat> it's about, you know, being a dad and being yeah. in a band. Yeah. And they, they talk to, um, Tim McIlrath from Rise Against, and he said, I've never, he said, my daughter's five at the time. He's yeah. Like, and I've never gone trick-or-treating. Yeah. Because that's such a big night for us. Yeah. And he said, and it's, it's horrible, but yeah. it's daddy's working, you yeah. know? And it's, it's, it's very interesting. And then the balance and how you do it. It is a trip. It's a pretty good documentary. I'll, I'll check that out for <laughs> sure. I mean, that's really, uh, pertinent. The, so our, my wedding anniversary is, uh, September 11th. Um, and my, wa- my daughter's birthday is September 29th. Um, my w- wife's birthday is, November 4th. So it's like beginning of September, beginning of October, beginning of November is are like three. So I miss two out of three every, every year, you know, and it's just a matter of, and it's always my wife's birthday and our anniversary. I mean, I never <laughs> miss my daughter's birthday. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that's a given. Once you have kids, you're like, oh, we'll talk on the phone. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always home. Like I'm, I, it feels important to be home for her birthday. And even if I'm gone on the day, like we'll have a big party the week before or something like that. But yeah, it's um, <clears throat> like so many things. It's just the particulars of your situation. You just have to figure out how to navigate those mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and be really conscientious and really, um, you know, serious about producing an outcome that everybody can live with, you know? And so, um, for, you know, and for me, the house show thing has been huge, a huge help on those tours. I camp in my van because it's, it's, I make it my, you know, I build it out so it's comfortable and I've got like a, you know, a nice twin bed in there and I cook my own food out of the back of it. And it just makes it to where, you know, I can bring as much of the money home as possible. Um, and, at first, it was a. I thought of it as a sacrifice, but now I, I like, I like doing it that way. You jam, you jam a cano. Uh, yeah, you know what I thought was interesting was you know when Bob came out and you guys were talking about not maybe participating with Spotify and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. I was like, Dave seems so ahead of the curve on this house show thing. Like mm-hmm. I feel like everyone will be doing that five years from now. I was like, I should pay attention to what he's doing here because I feel like maybe I don't know. I feel like you guys have a good feel for this kind of technology you're, you're, you're not doing spotify we haven't so with the spotify thing i think that we're just trying to wrap our heads around ha- how um all the the digital music stuff and compensation and like how what our relationship with all that is and what is sort of like the the fundamental guiding ethic of it and so some of it is just like a gut reaction like that seems um are we allowed to swear yes okay that seems fucked up um (laughs) 
And um, so that was just like a gut reaction, basically reading about how Spotify kind of began and how the money kind of worked for the labels involved and how it works or rather doesn't work for the artists involved. It just seemed... um, it was offensive, and so that it was more of a gut reaction. And so I think that we might participate in Spotify moving forward. But what it and the the, the tension of okay, we're not doing that, and we need to have a good reason. And so we're just constantly thinking and talking about it all the time. And to me, I now what I tell people is like, look, I think that that music um, is a lot like can be a lot like food, um, in that there are some you know, people who genuinely love it, love music and get a lot of nourishment out of it. And then there's some people who would be the equivalent of just like radio listeners, um, you know, 30 years ago who never really cared about anything more than the single or sort of like the surface of it. Um, but the more that you, if you can have a relationship with your farmer or whatever, then you're going to you, you're just um, you're going to have a better understanding of how things work, how compensation works, where things are coming from, what makes a thing sustainable. And so I just tell people, look, if you really love eight bands or ten bands and consistently you like their records, just get to know them. Like get on Twitter, get on Facebook, like strike up, you know, go up to them at the show and tune in to, to what's going on. And if you do that, I don't care what you do in terms of do you listen to it on spotify do you buy the vinyl it doesn't matter to me because if if you have fans that are are participating in a direct way they're going to naturally do the most right thing that they would that they would do you know it if they're you know only free downloaders i think that that would even be altered if they begin to have a like an empathetic relationship with the artists that they care about um you know, and so the house shows enhance that because it's a much more personal, they, you know, um, experience with me. It's a, it's, you know, there's no separation. You know, they can, the, you know, the texture of people that you, that gets a little washed out at Music Hall of Williamsburg because you're way far away on the stage. It's just hanging out in a living room, no place to go. And so all of that stuff to us, it just, we want to have, invested relationships with the people that you know that that like our music and that we know that they'll do right by us and that so now i just i'm not worried about spotify or any of that other stuff our focus is just to try to respect the trust that 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 our fans my fans have extended um to me and and um treat them with respect and treat them like people and uh and it's been working out. It really, really has. I'm curious about the the. You say you're you're camping out in your van. Mm-hmm. If you're doing all these house shows, don't they have a room? <clears throat> they they do. Um, but Feel weird about that. You know, I we just want to ask the, the 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 just the very minimal um, the the just the minimum from the hosts, so mm-hmm. that it's not too much. Because it is, you know, like we said, they are doing it for free, um, but also it's such an intimate. Um, show experience that it's nice to just get away and be uh, you know completely mm-hmm. alone for a little while before before bed yeah. um and so 
yeah, that's that's been a, a thing that's worked for me. Like I can deal with <clears throat> how intense it is um, if I can kind of pull pull out at, mm-hmm. at the end of the night and just kind of. What makes it so intense? Your performance. Well, it's it's just the interaction. I mean, there's no they have complete access. You know, there's no green room. Yeah. It's just you you. That's one of the reasons why I show up like right when it's time to play because talking after the show is great. Talking before the show is really awkward. Um, so I just show up and we start playing. And there's Q&A during the show, which at a house show can kind of go on for a little longer than at a, at a rock club because I can take the temperature of the room pretty accurately in a house show. So if everybody, you know, the, the energy is that everybody wants to be having this conversation, we'll talk for 10 minutes in between songs um but then as soon as some people just kind of you know they're ready for more music i can tell and so you know then i'll just start you know playing again so it it is a really interactive and kind of i hate that word but um in a you know also i hate this word an intimate um you know just avoid experience. i words period yeah that's right do you get sick of answering the same questions during the q a having done this for so long i've seen you ask the same question so many times <laughs> and i haven't been at most of your shows yeah um no the only the only thing that i worry about is is folks like you who have been to so many shows and who have heard the same answers i still like hearing you know. it i'm just curious from your well, because the tough. answers do morph yeah uh, over time um and the question morphs ever so slightly. But, um, no, I mean, I have, you know, I I've, I, have like a, a disorder where I, I want people to understand. And so when there's like a question, like I want to be clear, or to be understood or to, to – so I'm motivated by that. When a, when a question pops up, I forget that it was ever asked before, and I just try to do my very best to be as clear as possible with with the answer, um, which is, you know, one of the reasons why there's zero mystery to my, you know, my music or or whatever. And and sometimes I wish there was more, like you know, the Brit Daniels of the world, quite mysterious, and it's yes. pretty hot. Um, but <laughs> uh, I, I don't have that. So yeah, I, I just I'm happy to. You're just all out there. Is yeah. there ever a point though where like you've been at it one and you're like, you know what, actually that question's too personal, or I? Usually, I'll if if it is, I'll just um, kind of shrug it off in a, hopefully a humorous way. You know, I'm a pretty distracted dude, and so I can I, I don't really have to say no thanks. You know, I'll just kind of take it somewhere else. And but it's very, it's really rare. If if ever you know, people, you know people are pretty good. They're, they're you know they're not asking about. I don't even know what it would have to be. Something about my wife that was like inappropriate or something right. like that. That I just, but then it would be a joke, you know, a funny joke. So. Um, I want to talk about overseas also. Okay. Um, so Dave has a new band with two of the dudes from Bedhead. And oh, I don't know. Will from Central and Will from Centromatic, which are all, you're just talking about. Yes, all bands that I'm up? obsessed with. Um, so, how did that kind of? How do you market to specifically Jonah? How does that? <laughs> that seems like a bad idea. How do you do that? <laughs> that does not seem like a lucrative <laughs> subgenre because it's like me alone in my apartment. Um, the, that band, you know, I'm, I'm a, an enormous Bedhead fan in the New Year, also, and in 2002, right before Control. The Pedro record control came out. Um, 
They, I don't know. I think they were booked by Flower, and I don't know how it happened, but I got asked to open some shows for them for the new year. And uh, from that trip, we just started to become acquaintances and then eventually friends. And then in 2007, we did another trip together where um, they used all my gear and I rode in the van with the new year. And um, and after that, we became, you know, friends. And, um, and then in 2008, they needed a guitar player. Um, and they asked me to play guitar and I couldn't cause I was trying to make cursory branches and I just couldn't, couldn't be away. And so Will Johnson from Centromatic d- played guitar on, on a tour with them. And so they became close again. They, they'd known each other for years, all being Texas dudes. And, uh, so Matt and Bubba Cadane asked Will and I, if we wanted to be in a band with them and we were like, yes, we do. So if my 18 year old self knew what was in store, uh, I don't, I don't know how I would handle it, but it was, it's been great. It's It's, been really great. When does that record come out? Probably May or June. I think who's putting it out. I I think us, it's going to be a self-release. Oh, cool. I think we gave it to a lot of labels. Some people seemed like they liked it, but it it is a side project. And I think that that caused people to to kind of be like, yeah, I don't know. I just think Mm. that's so interesting for you. Like I've seen you with a town hall with like Ben, like, or you, you, you're peers with all these guys like Connor or Ben and all these dudes, but you also kind of still represent that like noodly Chicago world. <laughs> like to me, that is so interesting and, and it boggles my mind why you aren't like headlining town. Like I feel like so many people who came up with have gotten to this level and I feel like your songs are as good. And that's something that's always confused me. I don't know if it's the nature of the lyrics or I, the, 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 I think there's a lot of little things. Um, you know, it, it, I'm aware of this now because I saw photos from the show last night. But if I was, if I looked better, like if I was fitter and kind of, pre, you know, a little bit more dynamic uh, presence, I think that that would actually make a difference. Um, I think that not having a regular band, like with me and Death Cab, um, I mean, there are, there are other reasons, but they had like a steady live presence for years. And my thing was all over the place. If I had been playing with Andy and Alex, these guys that I've got with me now, I mean, we've been playing for three years and I feel like we're just kind of gaining steam and people are seeing, you know, this consistent band who I think gets better. I mean, it's easier and easier for us to, to, to learn songs and play them to my, to my satisfaction. So I think that that has something to do with it too. There was a, uh, on that tour, uh, that you guys were talking about at the the Warsaw, or no, with the, with Death Cab, I have a poster from a Philly show, and it was Pedro the Lion headlining, Bright Eyes was main support, Death Cab was second of four, and Her Space Holiday was first of four, and um, that so, and after that, both Bright Eyes and Death Cab obviously went to you know the stratosphere, and I'm just you know driving around the country in a van. <laughs> Playing to forty people, you know, at houses. But I am, I'm really happy to be doing that. Um, I think even the the success that I had in in with Pedro the Lion, um, I'm a pretty undisciplined guy, and so I I didn't really know how to. I kind of spun out a little bit, Um, and so I'm glad for how things 
things have gone. But yeah, it's it. There definitely was a time where I was like, "What? What the fuck happened? Like, why? You know?" But my songs are. I mean, they're. I'm. I'm obsessed with religion and booze, and you know, and it's a little bit of a one trick pony that not everybody wants to ride. You know. Are you obsessed with all religions or just Christianity specifically? No, just Christianity. There yeah. you go. And, you know, the obs- it's a very American obsession. I mean, it's our cult, our, our culture is so defined by pro- Protestant Christianity, you know, and I suppose, you know, Catholicism to, to a large degree on the East Coast too. Um, but it just, it's such a, like a the it's like the biggest factor in any election it's and it's crazy it's just it, you know um it just went into congress again i think i was reading just about it that it was it was going before me the supreme court God, I, don't quote anything i say ever because i get it all from twitter uh that taking out oh no it was a uh a uh, kid filed a suit because his family's atheist to get under God taken out of the Pledge of Allegiance, mm-hmm. which it wasn't there to begin with. Right. And it got put in by the Knights of Columbus. They pushed to have it put in. Yeah. And then. In like the 50s or something? Yeah. That No, this is before. In the 50s is when they pushed to get in God we trust put on, on the money. money yeah. Where if you flip the dollar over, it says the opposite. Uh, yeah. Morons. But, um,. Yeah, it, it is fascinating how that gets in there, and it seems to be the, the the exact antithesis to what the country was founded upon. Well, that's the thing. That's what's depressing. <clears throat> Two hundred yeah. years ago, our politicians and founding fathers like got it. They fought better hard. than they do now. You yeah, know? the Federalists were more were more religious based, right? Definitely more, and that was and that's you know James Madison, who people love and respect, but then you have Jefferson. Who was like, mm, no. Well, and I think all of them understood. I mean, they fought really hard to to have, to, you know, to have no religious test for office, to have mm-hmm. no religious language in the Constitution at all. And I think that it was when people tried to get Jesus and God into the Constitution that, that they ended up getting under God in the Pledge of Allegiance instead mm-hmm. of that and the in God we trust on the money. Um, and so the whole narrative of the Christian right, you know, Christian nation, Christian nation, and then in this, the 60s, this, you know, cabal of liberal judges, mm-hmm. you know, undid all that stuff is just totally false, you know. Do you, do you think that a lot of times in politics and the way the country runs, specifically with Christianity, that to use that as you know these kind of values or this is what we believe or this is what this country is as a christian nation do you feel that's a feint to cover up for some other shenanigans because sometimes i really think it is <laughs> i literally think it's like really gay marriage is it that big a deal what what yeah. are you hiding like what else is going on is it is oh, it a mortgage yeah. crisis oh shit it is yeah. you know is it i i sincerely wonder if it if that if it's that well i think that uh, you know a lot of it is the, the power grab that started with you know falwell in the late 70s when they you know they got rid of a very christian president for a guy who's you know just va- only christian in name only reagan mm-hmm. um so you know the, the ralph reed and falwell and then you know the lee atwaters and the carl roves yep. like they worked together pushing these culture war wedge issues to 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 you know um consolidate to get you know 
you know, Democrats in the South to vote against their economic interests. And so in that sense, I think that, that the whole power grab from the religious right, they maybe ha- had their own motivation for it, but the Lee Atwaters and the Karl Roves of the world just used it to, right. to do, to push their absurd economic policies. And that's the thing. That's exactly what it is. It's a power grab. If we do it this way and we say, you know what? It's fucking manifest destiny. That's all it is. Yeah. God, that annoys me. You know, and you look at the you look at the graphs, and the top one percent doubled their wealth in the eight years from two thousand to two thousand eight, and yep. trickle down was it's just a joke. I mean, it's just a well, sick it's trickling joke. down, but it's urine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's trickling down is is poverty. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, all the money, and you know, you like, oh, we give them all this money, and they're going to put it into the the system, and they don't. They just hold on to it. It's in the Cayman Islands. It's, my, my father called me for my birthday, and, and and I love my dad, but half the conversation <laughs> ended up being him bitching about Obamacare. Yeah, <laughs> and defending. The guy from Papa John's, which annoys me to death. Uh, and I enjoy that, that what pizza. What happened with the dude from Papa John's? He's, he's saying that he has to let people go because he's going to have to pay money for He's going to have to raise the price of pizza for, uh, to pay for the, the new health care plan. When, as John Stewart pointedly pointed out, uh, every year for the Super Bowl, he gives away a million free pizzas and he does commercials about it. So stop doing that and shut yeah. up. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> but like that, that it, you know, it manifests destiny. You're absolutely correct. That's all it is, is to shift it so that we can take the land where a, a teacher I worked with, and you sound a lot like a teacher. I don't know if you ever worked as an educator, I, but you have that vibe. I would want, I, if I, if I <clears throat> couldn't do this anymore, that's what I would want to do, I think. Yeah. Well, you're doing it anyway with the Q and A's and the songs and stuff and you definitely have that teachers are you just either you i was one for a long time and you either are or you aren't yeah. so you're there but this one teacher said to me all wars are about land and another teacher said no it's about religion he went yeah but what do you get and the guy was like oh you get land <laughs> you, get you know land. it's all it's it's all about that power grab it's yeah. all about this is my stuff suck it well why is it your stuff well the sun god that I've chosen mm-hmm. to worship today says it's my stuff, and your god is stupid. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the Catholic Church was the wealthiest, you know, uh, entity in the in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. For I mean, it wasn't happenstance. Like you, you don't become the wealthiest person on accident. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to work pretty pretty hard to do that and well if you give us money we will save you yeah then yeah if you buy an indulgence that's my favorite it's amazing thing. you know what the indulgence is? oh yeah dude you know about this stuff oh guys greatest thing ever <laughs> so you're you're a rich uh baron in, in 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 europe and you go to the church and you say look i got a lot of money and i want to be a saint oh well shit well you can buy these indulgences, which are the works of saints, yeah. and if you have enough money, we'll give you a relic. Well, what do you want? I want Christ's foreskin. Well, we happen to have that, <laughs> yeah. and then you would buy it, wow. and then you would have, and you, and now these were no longer Saint Thomas Aquinas. It was, yeah. it was yours, and yeah. that's how they money was exchanged. There's relics in the East Village. There's the oldest Catholic church is on um, uh, near where you used to live. It's over on Second and A. It's a gorgeous church. It's really pretty. But you go in there and there's a big whole section of relics yeah. and stuff and, and marks the saints. And and that's what pissed off Martin Luther and yep. why he put the 95 theses on the on the, the Wittenberg door or whatever, yep. nailed them up there and just said, this is what's wrong with the Catholic Church. And that's why Protestantism began is because of they were basically selling, mm-hmm. you know, to the very rich. They were selling, you know, 
sainthood and all this other stuff. Yeah. But even just the poor people, they would buy penance, basically. Yeah. You know, you could get, you know, if you had some, you know, you know, um, venial sins that you were, you know, were going to get you in purgatory, you could buy your way into heaven, at, you know, from purgatory just by giving them some money. And, uh, and that's why one of the reasons Protestants don't have saints. Yeah. So which is what, which is why whenever someone's canonized that it's just dumb. I have never felt more Jewish. I want to point out that Jonah did bring in notes for that Dave Bazan I did. I brought in some notes. Um, How many did you get to? I would say about half. Did I derail a bunch of them? No, you know what? I will write notes and then when I look at them, I'm like, what? I'll abbreviate (sighs) stuff and then not remember what I wrote. What's one one you abbreviated? Um, First time. <laughs> I don't know if that was first time you toured with someone, first time you had sex. I have no idea what it was. We didn't get to it, I don't think. Maybe we did. But I do that all the time on my iCal, too. Like, it'll be like today, it'll just be like the letter Q, 330. And I'm like, oh, well, I put this in here. But what is it? I couldn't spend that extra, like, five seconds to write out the word that would trigger my brain. So then it's me spending a half hour going through interviews, going through emails, trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do that day because I know I'm supposed to do something. But with Dave, you know, it's like that conversation kind of sustains itself because that guy has so much to say. Oh, man, he was great. And I learned so much about theology. Admittedly, anything about theology is learning for me. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. I I really would like to go to one of those house shows and I have to – it reminded me that, um, you know, you hear this from – you'll hear this from big artists who are playing like arena shows. How like, oh, man, I remember back in the day when you used to play these little intimate shows and they – you're on the floor and like but the truth is it's really it is it's totally true i mean he because he while he was talking about that he reminded me of this time that uh we did a tour where we played within weeks of each other we played the replay lounge in uh lawrence which at that time was literally just like you were you were on the floor with the audience in a space about the size of this we talk about this with rob pope actually right and i mean but what i didn't say that time was that that same tour like a week later, we played a radio show with garbage on a huge stage in front of like thousands of people. Where like, and it's really disorienting when you play those kind of shows because you go from like having the drums too loud right behind you to like having to hear the drums and bass and everything just only through monitors. And um, it was n- absolutely no fun whatsoever. That big show was not was not fun. It was the least fun show of the tour, and the replay lounge was by far. The funnest show of the tour. And Dave was on ahead of the curve knowing that's how it should be. No, for sure. And uh, I saw him at Mercury Lounge a couple nights ago, and his band right now is so killer. Probably the best incarnation I've seen of them, and his band has changed 7,000 times. Sometimes he's <laughs> playing bass, sometimes playing guitar, sometimes there's two dudes, sometimes there's five dudes. So this is a time to see him, for sure. So grab his box set of all the Jade Tree records of all the cool stuff he's done, and if he's in your town... Why not host a show? Yeah, do it. I have him play in your living room. I think we're going to do it. You should do it. How awesome would that be? If I had a bigger apartment, I would totally do it. I might do it anyways. You should. (laughs) Do it. We could fit seven people at the show. (laughs) Uh, If you guys enjoy the podcast, go ahead and click on the donate button at goingofftrack.com. If you like something or dislike something or want to start a discussion with us, go to facebook.com slash goingofftrack. As always, we don't have comments on the website. We find that um, distressing. (laughs) Tacky. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you'll hear us next week, and we'll hear from you on Facebook, right? Right. Yeah!
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.